Kia ora, I'm Laura Clark, the British High Commissioner to New Zealand. Welcome to another episode of Tea with the High Commission, the British High Commission's podcast, where we interview a range of interesting people talking about anything and everything, and in the process discover the great connections between the UK and New Zealand. My guest today on Tea with the British High Commission is Simon Bridges, who is National Member of Parliament for Tauranga and leader of the National Party since early 2018. Prior to standing for Parliament, Simon was a Senior Crown Prosecutor in the District and High Courts. And Simon has a particular UK connection, so he did his first degree at Auckland, but then moved to Oxford in the UK to do a Bachelor of Civil Law at the University of Oxford. And that, of course, is where he met his British wife, Natalie. He also went on to the London School of Economics and worked as an intern at the British House of Commons after receiving the Chevening Hansard Society Fellowship. Welcome, Simon. Thank you very much for joining us on, on Tea with the British High Commission. Thank you so much. It's great to be talking with you. Wonderful. So let's start, because in this podcast we like to explore these UK-New Zealand links, let's start with your UK links. Um, and when you moved to the UK to study law at Oxford, mm. had you always hoped and planned to study in the UK or was it more of a happy accident? Like so many New Zealanders, I've got British ancestry and that's and that's strong. And, uh, you know, if I think about my mum, I just, she was always watching Coronation Street and Emmerdale Farm. So, right. you know, there was always a, there was always a British thing there. She felt very uh, strongly, I suppose, more than my dad. Look, it's certainly been in my mind to study overseas. To be honest, it was probably a choice between the US and Britain. And in the end, I, I thought it was hard to go past Oxford. So that was why I went to um, Oxford. But, you know, uh, certainly uh, loved the country. And uh, and, and that was a, that was a bro- broadly speaking, part of, of, of going to Oxford as well. Yeah, fantastic. And you followed what I like to think of as a very well-worn OE route. Yeah. Of going to the UK to study falling in love with a Brit, something my husband can something my husband can also <laughs> identify with. Yeah. Um, and so I wonder, you know, can you tell me a bit about meeting Natalie, but also did you, was there ever a risk that you were going to get stuck over on that uh, side of the there world? There was a small risk. Look, we met, so we were both at St. Catherine's College. It's a, a newer college at, at Oxford. But, you know, these colleges are all quadrangles. So I suppose it goes back to the days of, you know, Vikings, marauding Vikings or something, <laughs> keeping them out. Um, very early on, uh, I met uh, at the cubby hole and she tells me that uh, afterwards she went home and rang her mother and said she met a very handsome Japanese man. So there you go. Right. That was sort of that. But post that, we um, we were in the middle common room because we were both doing masters who are in English literature, me, me and law. And look, we just got on very well, like a house on fire, as they say. And I think we shared the same sense of humour. And uh, the rest is history. Now, was there ever any danger of me staying in the UK? Natalie would have liked that. Yeah. In fact, one of our mates who we've, we've seen in New Zealand, but he he was a Kiwi who was doing the same degree, and he's now a, a prominent commercial barrister in the UK. And sometimes uh, Natalie says, well, you know, that, that could have been you, uh, Simon, but I was pretty clear with Natalie that um, you know my uh, my home was in New Zealand. I, I wanted to get back and practice law, and ultimately, I knew even then. And Natalie would say this now that you know I wanted to go into uh, into New Zealand politics. Very interesting. So I want to come on to the politics in a minute, but you touched on the the similar sense of humour, and I noticed that a lot. You know, there's a <laughs> there's a real similar sense of humour between the UK and New Zealand, perhaps more than between the UK and the US, yeah. for example, and the similar type of self-deprecation as well. Why do, why do you think that is? I, I think it's just cultural and historical. I think yeah. that, that the bonds are still very close. 
And uh, yeah, I mean, I look around. I felt very at home in Canada, actually. Uh, I think America is, is yeah, same language, but there's real difference. Even Aussie, you know, we're very close to the Aussies, but I there's some real differences. So I think uh, New Zealand and the UK, maybe it is actually just the, the, the TV shows we've grown up mm. with. We, we share that sense of humour. I think they're culturally very, very similar, although... I think I think you Brits are probably slightly more prim and proper and polite. No, oh, do you think? There we are. We'll make sure to be very. I don't know about you. Um, but... I'll make sure to be very polite for the rest of this podcast. So you tell me you've got British heritage. Do you know the extent of that British heritage? Yeah. Well, you know, look, my father is eighty-five, my mother is eighty, and for my mother's eightieth, we all forked in some money and we got them these tests, and you spit into the the the, 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 the petri dish and you send oh, it to DNA Ireland, test. right? The mm. DNA test, mm. and it must be accurate, right? Because you know, there's no, um, there's nothing to indicate anything. And, and my father's came back. He is about 39% European Jew. And um, we know that's that's through uh, come through London, uh, basically. He's a, a good third Maori, and then the rest is really British of some uh, description. My mother is 99% uh, British uh, and 1% Nordic, so she's very proud of that and uh, that, that sort of that. But it's it's a it's, it's a lot of fun there when you think about these things. We we knew Dad was Jewish at some level, but not yeah. uh, that that Jewish. And uh, what's fascinating is his great 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 grandfather came uh, over from London a very long time ago and he had himself a couple of Maori girlfriends and so that's uh, my, my middle oh, so name it was is Joseph. Was it was well, I don't, lived, I don't know yeah. the details <laughs> and he, he lived here and he's you know as, as I say one of my forebears but he then went to Australia where he was an Australian member of parliament and a founder of the synagogue in, in Sydney and the, the stock exchange over there and, and you can look him up yeah. actually in the Australian almanac um, Aaron Samuel Joseph. So uh, that, that is one political com- connection for me, but I think what it also shows is a very strong uh, British heritage, both on my mother's and my father's yeah. side. But that's wonderful heritage for you to retrace, isn't it? Both to the UK and, of course, then going to trace that heritage to Australia yeah, as well. Abso- absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And did he remarry in Australia? Yes, and her name, I kid you not, was Matilda. So, oh, well, there we go. Uh, that, uh, he yeah. was so he actually Matilda. did go and waltz with Matilda. I've, I've yeah. decided that when I go over there, I've never done this, but I, I do need to go to the... A synagogue uh, in Sydney because I, I, you know, I understand as I say he was very prominent there, and that would be a great um, sort of heritage trip down memory lane. Wonderful. Um, and so, so then you after you didn't go straight home after Oxford. You studied at the LSE at the London School of Economics. Basically, that I just wish I could tell you how it quite happened, but somehow I lucked my way into this. Uh, uh, interview uh, at, at your workplace, uh, the British High High Commission of the Foreign Com- Commonwealth uh, Office, and that was a fantastic time. It was only a, a few months, but it was massively um, a massive pr- privilege. It was 2002. Yeah. It was just after 9/11. I can remember um, going into Portcullis House every day. Many of the members of Parliament are. You know, it was massive security, uh, which is very foreign as New Zealanders, but. The amazing thing was the the pass. So I had this pass that literally meant, because we must have gone through the security clearances, we'd go anywhere. And you could literally walk almost into the House of Commons. You could walk around the Lords and go from the red carpet to the green carpet. You know, the libraries, the various bars. Not that, of course, I went to those. I was too busy working. (laughs) Um, But it was was a great privilege and, um, you know, to do that at the mother of all parliaments. I remember a lot of people from that. I worked for a guy that New Zealanders will know well, or older New Zealanders, certainly, mm. Austin Mitchell MP. Right. Um, I think he's now retired, but he was the member for Great 
Grimsby, personal friend of Helen Clark's. And, you know, there was a bit of an irony there, which I tried to keep secret, but I think he worked out that, you know, I was certainly not on the same side of the political fence as him. But we got on well, and he was a, he was a really good guy to, to work with and um, to spend a bit of time with. And so that was the Chevening Hansard Society Fellowship, where you worked in the House of Commons. Um, and it is, I've worked there as well, and it's an extraordinary place to feel like you're a part of. And do you think it was that that gave you the politics bug, or do you think you already had it? Oh, I had it, but it certainly didn't dim it. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was soon exciting. I mean, you, just the contrast. I mean, here we are. Uh, we're doing this, uh, talking on this podcast in the New Zealand Parliament, and it's a, you know, it's a great Parliament with a great uh, heritage, but it's so small uh, in comparison with the, the British Parliament, House of Commons, and House of Lords. Now, I I loved every bit of of being there for those few months, and and studying a bit. I'd use the word study loosely, uh, but studying a bit at the London School yeah. of Economics. Yeah. Uh, as as well. When did you become? When did you join the National Party? I'm one of those um, uh, strange creatures who joined in my teens. Right. And no one in my family at that point was a member of yeah. uh, a political party. And so you know, whilst I could sort of point back to you know perhaps some political types in our in our family, actually it was some books that an auntie gave me on uh, American presidents and and parliamentary democracies and I just lit a fire I could I could tell it was important that it mattered and when I thought about the values and the sort of uh, principles that I I liked about you know uh, individuals uh, succeeding doing well the, the national party uh, appealed to me and and that is is that presumably then a sense of you can you can achieve the most and you can achieve change through politics and that sense of a bit of having a bit of a mission on oh, no doubt if i think about what i've done in my working life uh, that's always been a part of it as why i was a uh, a crown prosecutor the fact i suppose that i was doing something uh, of public importance that had a significance outside of myself that wasn't simply about earning uh, money and was service. And you know, what frustrated me about that, in, in a sense, ultimately, was you could do justice and a good thing in a very small uh, way, if you like, for a whanau or a family or a victim. Mm. Uh, but but in, in politics, you could change the rules of the game. You can literally do so much more. You know, look, when you look back on it, I, I stood for Parliament in 2008 and it's you know, a privilege to become a member of Parliament. Who knows what would happen if that hadn't uh, panned out and what, what I'd be doing now, but it did, and um, it's just been a great privilege to be a member of Parliament. So tell me, you were, of course, a minister in the last government. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how... Being a minister in a, in, a, in a government compares with being leader of the opposition. They're two very yeah. different roles. Oh, They're yeah. e very, very important, but very different roles in terms of what your position is, what your ability is to influence and, and deliver change. Look, I wouldn't say that ours... Um, you know, I, was, I was very lucky. I'm genuinely very grateful to John Key and then Bill English for giving me great opportunities. Coming from a very junior guy, and select committee chair, and ministry outside of cabinet, inside cabinet, to higher up in cabinet, in the end, very senior... Uh, minister, I think when you when you think about it, the, the end of it as a senior minister with a wide variety of significant portfolios, I wouldn't say that the workload is better or worse than being leader of the opposition. They both take every hour, you know. So there's sort of you, and so 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 you wouldn't say one is well in a sense more time consuming. You can hide more even as a senior minister though. 
uh, in as much as you have downtime in your office, you have the ability to read and focus on a specific area, you know, whether it's as Minister of Transport or Economic Development or, or the like. Of course, as leader of the opposition, in our case, you know, my case, leader of the national parties and 55 MPs, it's more raw leadership, uh, if, if you like. And so you don't have that ability to hide away you do need to um, be talking with colleagues constantly out there talking to New Zealanders. And, and so there's more, if you like, vision and values than perhaps as a minister when you're often focused on doing the technically, uh, pragmatically right uh, thing to do in a particular decision-making that has come across your yeah. desk. So that's really interesting. So then let's talk a little bit about leadership. It's an endlessly fascinating subject. What, what do you think you've learned most over the last year and a half, almost two years of being leader of the opposition? What mm. do you think is most important, in a, um, the most important attribute that a leader can have? I often talk uh, to, to school groups. I, I don't think leaders are a special people that are born. I think all of us can be leaders. Mm. Um, if we put our mind to it, we want to be and we want to serve. And so, as I say, I don't think these are special people. Uh, I think that's something that, that's within us uh, all, if you like, and some people choose that, that mental and some people uh, don't. I think what I've learned over, you know, what is it now, um, nearly a couple of years, I suppose, or certainly over a, a year and a half of being leader of the National Party is very early on, you know, you, you're tempted to try and be someone else. Maybe it's John Key or Bill English, but you've got to be yourself and do what you think is right. And, um, you know, I, I feel it's important to be authentic, to be comfortable in your own skin. And, and I certainly feel that now uh, as, as, as a leader uh, and as, as leader of the opposition. Very interesting. Thank you. So I'm going to move on and talk a bit now about the challenge that I think lots of us face is how you juggle a job like this where presumably you can work all the hours and of course being a father of a very young family I think when we first met in January last year you've just you just had your daughter you had a new right, baby the there we go uh, so you had a brand new baby then and that's really hard isn't it to combine a very young family and being on the front line of politics so how do you manage look I couldn't do it without Natalie she's a superwoman and the, the truth is I mean if you just take uh, us right now we live in Tauranga uh, I came to Parliament uh, or to Wellington certainly on Monday and I'm, I'm here and away from home till midday Friday. So, you know, there's no clues there um, in terms of who's looking after Emlyn, Harry uh, and Jemima Mima for the most part. And that's Natalie and she does that with a business and with a whole bunch of other community interests uh, going on. I think for me, what's important is when I am home, I'll be the first to admit I don't get this perfectly right uh, all of the time to be present, uh, to put away the cell phone and to make sure that, you know, we're having some, some good times as well. I mean, I think what's important for my children is that they, they know who mummy and daddy are, you know, what our values are and, and what we're doing. And and look, I'm not saying why well, it was me. Um, they've got a great life. I think we've got a great family and uh, I feel very blessed that they've got good health and um, and that things are going so well for us. Yeah, yeah. and it's just a particularly busy time. But yeah. I, but I, I remember a colleague, yeah. uh, Tony Ryle, uh, who was Minister of Health in the last government for a couple of terms, saying you either go in and, you, and your kids know no different or, you know, you sort of uh, have it at the end there. Because I think that the danger would be if they were sort of 
tweens or teens, yeah, and uh, that, that would be hard. But you know, for, for my three children, they know no different, and they um, they take the smooth with the, the rough, I think, pretty well. I've got a, a friend in London whose dad was a politician for a lot of her childhood, and she said all her memories of him are not of him not being around, they're of him in his shorts on holiday. So basically all her memories are from <laughs> August each year. Um, yeah. But luckily things have improved a bit now. At least we managed, you know, you managed to get weekends and more time, yeah. more time where you can, as you say, leave the phone and be focused on the, on the family. Yeah. yeah so can I ask you then, you know, juggling a lot, but in such a prominent role, uh, I'm very interested in well-being and resilience and all of that. Is there anything that still keeps you awake at night with worry or is there any time that you get particularly nervous or have you learned to sort of take, take, take it all as it comes? If I had been in this role two years into my parliamentary career, uh, well, that you know, would be a scary thought in and of itself, but there would have been real problems and I think, you know, it would be very tough indeed. But I suppose I, I think, you know, you, you build up experience and it all sort of adds together to make something. And, and in politics, you do build up a, a, resist, a resilience. I, I can think of, you know, my first uh, campaign as a young candidate in 2008. And, you you know, you, you, you've got a, a bunch of things and, and there, were, there were candidate meetings with the Right Honourable Winston Peters. And I would go home absolutely shattered and thinking it all through, look, now you just roll with it and you don't sort of need to worry so much and prepare for speeches and these things because, you know, you've got almost like, I suppose, if you're a marathon runner, an institutional memory that is there. I can genuinely say I don't toss and turn at night. I don't worry particularly. You know, I'm generally pretty tired when I get home and, and it's very easy to get to sleep. So I, I don't, for myself, have those sort of issues uh, today but I think you know we all want to make sure that we are not taking those things lightly and you know we're taking time out and we get it we we are having time with the family and you know I take those things pretty seriously as well I don't think anyone would suggest that being a, a member of parliament is necessarily a balanced life but no. we all got a, a duty I suppose to the, our loved ones around us to to try and make sure we are we are balancing it and, and taking care of ourselves as best we can. And what is the thing that most... You know, people talk about being in flow. You know, when you're in your work and you're doing something that you particularly enjoy, where you're really in the groove. And, and for me, I think what I love most about being a diplomat is it's the combination of the, you know, big picture, geopolitical, intellectually challenging things on the one side and then the people side on the other. And so I love so much about my job. But is there a particular thing that you do? Is it standing up in the house or is it speaking to a hustings? Or what is it that you do that you really get that buzz from? I, I suppose there's a minister. Obviously, I'm seeking to become the prime minister of, of New Zealand. It, it is a sense of uh, making decisions and doing things proactively that are going to make this a better country. And and that, that really drives me. I, I've got a deep sense of that. Uh, the notion that you can make things better, that you can really uh, drive progress, whether it's an in infrastructure or health or education, that um, was deeply satisfying as a, as a cabinet minister. As I suppose, where to use your words, I find my flow, that sense of, you know, we are, we are doing something special. I've just come now from reading a, 
a draft discussion document that we will put out in due course in a, in a particular a social policy area. It's very exciting to me to think that we are thinking these things through that could become the policies of New Zealand and, and make a very real, a very special uh, difference. Wonderful. Very nice to talk to you. Thanks very much. Hey, thanks so much. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review as it helps others find us. And remember, you can subscribe to us by searching for Tea with the High Commission on iTunes or Spotify. Thank you. Kakiti anō.